Hi guys, thanks for tuning in to this week's NTT20 podcast, the Monday pod. Uh, myself, Ali Maxwell, and him, George Ellick, talking all things EFL. What a busy weekend it was across all three leagues. Uh, and for us individually as well, George, I made my Five Live Sports Report debut, which I massively enjoyed. Uh, and there you were on my TV screen on Quest as well. Later on, we had all bases covered uh, in terms of terrestrial EFL coverage this weekend. Now it's time to talk a little bit more in depth about what happened this weekend. We are sponsored by the Skybet EFL Rewards app and it is still free and it's still the app to download if you want to be in with a chance of winning some pretty tasty prizes just by dint of being a fan of an EFL club. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully, I mean, we like to think of ourselves as the podcast that you have to listen to if you support an EFL team. This is the app that you have to download and have on your phone if you support an EFL side as well. And as you say, some chances to win some incredible prizes. Football Manager 21, we all love that. EFL replica match balls, Ali, you and I have one of those. And I must say, they are good balls. I'm looking forward to kicking one with somebody else rather than just myself. Not long till we'll be able to do that. I'm excited. But in the meantime, you can get one of those match streaming passes. Again, not not something we'll hopefully need next season when tickets will be in order and the app will have you covered for that. But for this season, match streaming passes as well and signed shirts. Everybody loves a signed shirt. And for your chance to win these great prizes from the app, you can check into the EFL game that you're watching on the Skybet EFL Rewards app and then play the spinner. Yeah, I've seen plenty of signed shirts being dished out, people celebrating that on Twitter. As you say, we've got uh, a ball each. Uh, I like the way you said they are good balls, um, which I think has been said this weekend about Callum Patterson, who took a free <laughs> kick from his teammate right in the nuts. There are some goals in the park opposite my flat, but there aren't any nets. So practicing free kicks is, is both fun and time consuming, which is quite handy in this lockdown. You, you take about five in half an hour because... I mean, the rest of the time is just spent trotting after the ball because it rolls on about 200 metres. But well, Why don't you just aim for the post and then let it come back to you? I'm not a photoshopped Ronaldinho in a 2000s uh, online advert, sadly. Uh, the Skybet EFL Rewards app. Lots of chance in midweek, guys, to check into games, to play the predictor and get, get yourself in with a chance of winning rewards. Now, so much to discuss, George. In the Championship, I think we should start with two teams that have won seven matches in a row starting with our league leaders, Norwich City, because increasingly it looks like we may not be able to talk about them for much longer. You told me off, actually, uh, basically this time last week for saying that I thought if Norwich beat Brentford in midweek, then that was pretty much them up. Um, what about now that they are, according to the bookies, 50-1 to 1 on? In your terms, that's pretty nailed on, isn't it? It's it's pretty nailed on. <laughs> um I mean, it, it's still 11 points um, and it's from, from third and Swansea have a couple of games in hand. It's still uh, an anomalous couple of bad performances and results away from not being nailed on. So let's not, you know, it's the same chance, for example, as Burton getting relegated about four weeks ago. You know, strange things do happen in football. Fair we point. shouldn't nail um, this down with still 11 games to go the season for Norwich. But it's, it's, a, it's a funny one for you and I because, I you know, I love this Norwich team. I thought there was some good analysis by Colin and Dean Ashton on the EFL Highlights show talking about the difference between this Norwich side and the one a couple of years ago where 
Now, this Norwich team have conceded 20 less goals. They've scored 20 less goals. They've got seven more points at this stage of the season. And you do feel like they are just a, a better all-round side, less reliant on just scoring more goals than, the other, than they're going to let in because they are going to let in goals. They are controlling games. They are not conceding many chances. James Collins did have a pretty easy opportunity at nil-nil, which he slid at the back post and only managed to strike the woodwork, which could have changed the game. But it's hard to really come up with anything new to say about Norwich now. Um, Puki is back scoring goals. A lovely finish for the, for the first goal. Nine in seven for Temu. And then the, the only issue that you could have said Norwich had um, previous to this game was that Onel Hernandez wasn't really doing it on the left-hand side of the three. Todd Cantwell was back and he was brilliant. I mean, it was as if he hadn't even been away. A, a fantastic assist for the first goal, a lovely fit, run and finish for the third. Probably the best player on the pitch on the day. Um, although Buendia was, of course, brilliant again. And I loved how at one stage Puki decided to, having kind of uh, dummy and come inside onto his left foot and Buendia was there for the square ball and Puki slash wide. And because there are no fans in the stadium, you could hear Buendia's scream of, of angst that he didn't roll it across. Those of us who backed Buendia to score, similarly upset at that point. Um, but yeah, this is just a very, very good Norwich side. Um, it's we, we want to talk about them lots because they're so good. But when you use basically every superlative you've got, there doesn't really seem much else to say. Well, it's funny you say we, we kind of said it all at this point. I tweeted Jack Reeve from the excellent Talk Norwich City podcast YouTube channel. And I just said to him on the weekend, like you're in that sweet spot as a Norwich fan where your team is so good that you can just pick any player from the starting eleven, and you can find a reason to praise them and to point to their immense contribution to this excellent team. You know, you've got someone like Yanulis, who we haven't spoken about a ton. He joined in January, the left back. Uh, he, I can't, I know, I'm not sure who dubbed him the Greek Andy Robertson, but I definitely saw that moniker. And to be fair, I mean, it's hard to, to join a team this high performing that are so well drilled and be excellent straight away. But, the you know, the first match or two, I think it's fair to say he he took some time to get used to the level, but only a match or two. Uh, and that's pretty impressive. And, and to be fair, I can see where the comparison comes from because his energy is brilliant. And although previously they had Sorensen at left back, who's a very tidy player, you know, probably more of a central midfield player, but right footed. And they did just lack a little bit of balance. They now have on both flanks, really good uh, attacking fullbacks, of course, with Max Aarons on the other side. We say Aarons now, guys, not Aarons. It is Aarons. What I like is that we can also praise Oliver Skip. Not only is he such a good sort of tempo setter at the base of the midfield, always seems to be an option if the players in front of him are getting into difficulty and need to play it backwards, or when the centre-backs have the ball, Skip always making himself available and, of course, a really good forward passer. But what I've noticed more is... You know, their fullbacks do get incredibly high and occasionally that means there are transition opportunities for the opposition and especially playing the ball down the sides where, you know, the sort of vacant fullback area. And the amount of times I've noticed Oliver Skip making a covering tackle, putting the ball out for a throw, stopping a transition attack, which can be so dangerous uh, and just letting Norwich reset it's uh it's amazing and it's it's very impressive for someone so young i i know this is a little bit harsh i don't necessarily mean it in a negative way but he has got that kind of head boy vibe about him doesn't he george a bit of a bit of a teacher's pet just the just the perfect player basically a real all-rounder and um you know he's so highly thought of at spurs that presumably someone we'll be talking about a lot at the very top of the game um for years to come but what a loan signing he's been um but let's let's move on from norwich because as you say it's just uh 
you know, even as neutrals, it's getting pretty sycophantic in its praise because there's there's nothing else you can say about a team that's won seven in a row. Let's talk about another team that's won seven in a row. <laughs> Barnsley beat Birmingham 1-0. George, welcome to the playoff places. Valish Mails, Barnsley. Just saying that sentence out loud is incredible, the journey that they have been on and are continuing to be on. And now they are the ones to be shot at in those playoff places. Yeah, uh, another incredible win. Again, they weren't necessarily their best going forward, um, but the goal itself, to use a massive cliche, was a goal worthy of winning any game. <laughs> I, I've, I've noticed something quite weird. There, because a lot of the pitches in the championship are worse than they normally would be, we're seeing quite a few goals like this where the ball sits up. Because again, I mean, the ball's rolling and as DK goes to hit it, there's a bobble and it literally turns into... Well, not a volley, but he's kicking the ball that's mm. off the ground, which helps the strike. It was such so an unusual trajectory from that position that I thought it must yeah. have taken a deflection, but I'm not sure it did. Yeah, yeah. I think it might have been no. the bobble that you're talking about. It just sat up and then he was able to strike it in a completely different way, but, mm. but an, an amazing hit. And you know, the key thing here, I watched the highlights of the game um, before kind of doing a bit more research into it. And, you know, it looked like Birmingham created a fair bit. You had a couple of headers from Dean in the first half. You had Sanchez missing a chance of one all. That was their only three shots of the game. That was it. Um, Barnsley, again, were able to completely restrict Birmingham's ability to create chances in open play. This is a Birmingham side who, for all their faults, have been pretty good at giving good sides um, a bit of a scare at worst. Uh, Sorry, at the very least, sorry, on the road this season. But... It may have taken a great goal to win it, but Barnsley with a better side on the day. And anybody who hasn't listened to our chat with um, Jed Wallace from last week talking about Barnsley, um, I'd be surprised given how much Ali's hammered it on on social media. Um, But he talks about how just this playing against the Barnsley side is a totally different opposition to anybody else that you're used to at this level. And nobody seems able to work it out. If you asked any side, in my opinion, if you were to ask any side who they would most want to avoid in the playoffs right now, the answer would, maybe not with fans, but at the clubs, managers, if you're speaking to Chisco or uh, Steve Cooper or Vyko Parnovic, I think they want to avoid Barnsley because you just don't know what you're going to do over two legs in order to break the press and try and get in behind. They, they don't allow it. I, I had a message from a Barnsley fan not long ago called Perry who said, I think the best way for me to sum Barnsley up is we don't win games by being the best team we win games by making you the worst team and that's certainly a trend and was the case on the weekend as well as you say they have in the last six weeks in the championship faced the fewest number of shots the fewest number of shots on target joint with Watford the lowest expected goals against number Uh, defensively they are locking it up and it's it's serving them very very well and as Jed said I think you know with the games every three days he he said the manager told us about it. He he had warned us, but we were still caught by surprise to a certain extent. And I guess the schedule in some ways is helping Barnsley. There's, there's so little time, even if the opposition manager can try and explain it and maybe do a video session of clips. There's not enough training time to really set up or practice the setup that you need. And given there's no other team in the league doing this either, playing in this way, there's no reference point that you can uh, look back to as well. It's great to see... January signings, Carlton Morris and Daryl DK combining for the goal. They've been really, really valuable pickups, I think it's fair to say. And yeah, just uh, that that nice line that we've got two clubs who have won seven games in a row. Their managers, Daniel Farker and Valerian Ishmael, did their pro license together, George, in 2014 in Germany, became good mates on that course, spent 10 months studying together 
Uh, and here they are with seven wins in a row in this magnificent division. And as I said on Five Live on Saturday, I love the idea of championship chairman desperately trying to find out who else was on that course. Who else did the <laughs> who else did the pro license with Farker and Ishmael? Because uh, they're probably going to be uh, on many a shortlist. Quickly on what you said just then um, about the playoffs. Well, no, what I said about the playoffs and what you said about teams not being able to prepare for them. I wonder if that could be an issue. Just thinking now, teams playing Tuesday or Wednesday through to Saturday every week, so therefore not having the time on the pitch to prepare, literally looking at videos, being told what to expect and being asked to go and put it into action. The playoffs won't be like that. For both the semi-finals and the finals, you're going to have, for the first time basically this whole season, uh, except for for during postponements, um, sides are going to be able to actually prepare and try and work out a way, presuming they get there or presuming they don't get second, um, are going to be able to, to prepare for a way to stop the way that Ishmael's getting them playing. So maybe something to look out for uh, when we get to May. Swansea beat Middlesbrough uh, in the last minute with a, Loved a, this. a penalty with the last kick of the game, which is also how they beat Stoke uh, in midweek. 2-1 wins both times. And George, I can't remember a game whose refereeing decisions has been most under the spotlight, I don't think, since we've been covering this league anyway. I'm not sure if it was a, a mixture of what happened in midweek Neil Warnock's explosive quotes afterwards. I'm not sure exactly what the cocktail was, but I mean, there's not really much dissection of the match to come, really. It's just all about refereeing decisions, this one. Which you, which, which you hate, so I'm happy to do it. Um, I mean, first and foremost, I loved this game. This was the kind of game where I now feel like there will be a rivalry between Swansea and Middlesbrough for the next couple of seasons, so long as the two managers are in charge. And that's great. Um, and when fans are back, given the you know what we've seen on social media over the last couple of days, with the big disagreements about what's gone on and, and Warnock's post-match interview, which I recommend, well, both Warnock and Cooper's, I, I recommend people should go back and watch. Um, in terms of the refereeing decisions, so, I mean, quite clearly, the first one, the Balassi assist for the Bola strike, shouldn't have been given. That was a bad refereeing decision. He was right on top of it. He should have seen it. Um it almost feels like he's blowing the whistle in a bit of a panic because he can see that Boller's about to smack it in and he doesn't want to blow it a second later. He's made the wrong call there. And I think Neil Warnock has every reason to feel aggrieved. For the penalty, it's it's not a penalty, right? So I think George Savile does unbelievably well to get there first, get his foot in between the ball and Bidwell's boot. And then Bidwell kind of kicks Savile's foot and the and the ball and the key and the referee doesn't help himself at all that he initially gives a corner i don't think that is a decision though that necessarily people can get angry about i think when i saw it live and then when i saw probably the first three replays i thought it was a penalty and it was a great decision it's when you slow it down in super slow-mo and you zoom in on the ball and you see the foot there because actually i don't think savile's foot touches the ball until it's kicked onto it and not ne- and it wouldn't necessarily either I, I don't think we can if we want to have the championship league one and league two not having var those are the kind of decisions that we're going to have to just accept because it's marginal he got it wrong it's not it's in no way a clear mistake that he's made and if anything i would say it would have been 
a ridiculously good call in order to not give that a penalty, given what he saw in real time. Yes, it looks worse that, that, he, that he gave the corner to start with, but I think you, you can't feel... It, it's a 97th minute winner and it's unbelievably frustrating, especially after what happened previously. But that's not a referee in clangor. It's a mistake that we have to just accept it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, the, the Bola disallow goal, certainly the more egregious of the incidents. And uh, I can't disagree with, with anything you say, really. Clear that Borough jibbed out of a result here and clear that Swansea for the second time in a week got very lucky not having played particularly well so um, you know they have received some fortune and now they need to make the most of that by improving their performances because that's not going to happen each game the only thing I don't like most about the reaction to this there's a there's always a really popular phrase that gets trotted out which is these referees, they just want to be celebrities. They want everyone to know who they are. That's yeah, rubbish. I hate that. I hate that yeah. so much. You know, if you're angry about poor refereeing decisions, then that's absolutely fine. If you think that the quality of referees across the board needs to improve, that's absolutely fine. And hopefully you'd have some idea of how that can happen because I don't know how training referees works. I don't know how realistic it is that the performance levels of the referee could improve. I hope that it can. I hope that it will. But every time this happens... I realise as I say this that it's as if I'm saying every time this happens a fairy dies but you know every time something like this happens a young wannabe referee if that's a thing probably decides not to bother Uh, and then the pool of refereeing talent if that's a thing gets thinner and thinner so it's a it's a bit of a vicious cycle isn't it let's talk about Watford 1 Forest nil. the early game low scoring one as expected George but the Watford right side was dynamite all day the Forest left side of the defence really struggled to cope with Saar and, and Kiko Femenia. And, I mean, I, I have to admit, I thought that Samba was fouled for the goal. Where, you know, the, the discussion was, oh, he could have probably had the game stopped if he had just stayed down. I mean, regardless of whether his bravery cost his team a goal, he got basically booted in the head after par- after pushing a ball away. So I'm not sure the goal should have stood. Having said that, uh, I think Watford were the better side here. Um, and I note that, their record under Cisco Munoz is absolutely brilliant, by the way. I think, yeah. you know, that they have six wins from seven in this run, so maybe it's not surprising. But 32 points from 15 games, over two points per game since he was appointed. Uh, in total this season, they've got 44 points from 18 home games, which is amazing. And now they're in just a brilliant position, aren't they? The, the switch to 4-3-3 seems to be bringing out the best in the players you want to bring out the best in, namely but- Will Hughes and Ishmael Assar. And um, yeah, things are looking pretty good. It's interesting you mentioned the 4-3-3 because he kind of switched it up on, on Saturday. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was surprised to see the team that came out because obviously Andre Gray came in in midweek and scored two goals when Jar Pedro was, was suspended and he had an issue. I would have thought he'd have kept with the same shape and just dropped Pedro, Pedro to the bench and let Gray continue, but instead he brought Pedro back in and they played a bit of a kind of 4-1-4-1 because I, could, I don't think you can really say that Pedro was playing in midfield. So Saar and Semmer were still playing wide. Then you had uh, Zinkanagel and Pedro ahead of Hughes. Right. If you look at that team, it's, it's an unbelievably attacking lineup. <laughs> yeah. Like, aggressively so you've got two players there who would see themselves as strikers in Pedro and Gray you've got although I mean Ja Pedro does does often often drop in when he's playing Semmer and Saar as attacking wingers Hughes is not a sitting midfielder you know he's somebody who even when he plays deep he's a ball playing midfielder and then Zinkenagel who can play either wide or through the middle as an attacking midfielder so you're, you've effectively got an attacking unit of six players and then you add to that Messina and Femenia as your as your fullbacks You've effectively only got two defensive players, both of which are in themselves and Sierra Alto and Trustecon 
pretty dangerous to set pieces. Yeah. So in terms of personnel, he's he's managing to, whilst it was a one nil win against the Chris Hutton side. So in fairness, you, you know you're not expecting him to score loads. He's managing to put out a very aggressive lineup and maintain a level of defensive solidity. Um, you know, Lar Taylor thought he'd scored an equaliser, but he was miles offside. And, and Forrest did have one or two chances to to get back into it. But but Watford were the better team. And especially in the first half, Forrest couldn't really live with them. I'm interested to know the current thoughts from Forrest fans as well before we move on. Um, please get in touch with us at NTT20pod because it's clear that Chris Hutton has more than achieved the key objective, number one, which was settle things down and move away from the relegation zone and to provide that sort of calming management that he's very well known for to improve the defensive part of the pitch and the the organisation of the team out of possession immeasurably. So the next question is, will they get better going forward? How will they get better going forward? How will they look, this Forest team, next season if they're a team that that is competing towards the top end of the table, because certainly in possession that they've left a lot to be desired, as we've discussed so many times, not a lot of training time at the moment, probably not the season to come in mid-season and completely overhaul things. But that's the big question right now, I guess, for Forest fans. How confident are you that next season this Forest team will be good enough going forward that added to their defensive prowess, which seems unlikely to vanish, they could be a team, you know, challenging for the top six, for example, because I think that's that will be the expectation. The expectation will be fairly high if Forrest finish this season strong and head into next season with Hewton in charge because of his his record and, and because of what he's done. But we've got so much more to talk about. Um, Reading 3, Sheffield Wednesday nil. Really comfortable win for Reading this uh, after the red card. Um, I note that beforehand, Sheffield Wednesday had hit the bar, so it wasn't quite as straightforward at nil-nil, but... Straight red and penalty, stupid defending from Burner. Uh, half an hour gone, 1-0 down, 10 men, that was that. Um, nice little quirk from the Biscuit Analytic on Twitter, who notes that there have now been eight red cards given to opponents of Reading in 35 league games, two more than any other side. So they've certainly been on the right side of that, whether that's by luck or by design. And just a penny for Darren Moore's thoughts, because you know the game before he joined Sheffield Wednesday, they lost from 2-0 up. Uh, the first game in charge of Sheffield Wednesday, they lost against Rotherham, 10-man Rotherham, despite having an attacking corner with 10 seconds left at 1-1. And in this game, what what else could go wrong? Right, um, how about we go down to 10 men and give away a penalty after half an hour, having started fairly well? Um, and Doncaster have won both games since he left as well. What a, what a week for Darren Moore. Yeah, not ideal for him. Um, although I, I do think people... Th- you know, wondering if he's regretting his decision and probably jumping a bit early. I think there'll be there'll be some terms around his appointment there, which probably make it okay uh, to stomach. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 been a terrible start for him. Um, luckily, even if things go all wrong, as wrong as they can go over two games, it, you can only drop six points, uh, which is the case. So he's still got some time to turn it around. Um, but they were very poor here, I mean, and and it's impossible to judge them on the back of a performance where they've gone down to ten so early I think Berner made a mistake um, committing that foul at the time that he did I, I don't think that was necessary Puskas um, whilst bearing down on goal it was by no means like a preventing a, a surefire opportunity especially because we know that he's not the most clinical um, in those situations as well um, so and, and it means that they're without an experienced player for the, for the coming games um, but as you say I mean impressive of Reading interesting to see that McIntyre's moved into a, a central midfield role for the time being um, 
you know, having made such a good start to the season at centre-back with Liam Moore um, back in, only there because of injuries, but showing what a good player he is. And, and lovely to see, even with, with George Pushkas and and uh, Lucas Schwau on the pitch, Michael Lillis grabbing the ball and, and slotting home a lovely penalty, uh, the teenager. Um, yeah, and there didn't seem to be any questions about it whatsoever. I don't know why Gerard didn't take it. Um, well, he's, he's missed a few, missed. that's why. Well, exactly. <laughs> Keeps missing the goal, which is not ideal yeah, from 12 that, yards. That is true. <laughs> hey, and QPR uh, beating Bristol City was was a bit of a surprise after a poor few results for QPR and uh, you know a, an encouraging start under Nigel Pearson for Bristol City. The main headline here has to be that Big Ilias scored a header, um, <laughs> the smallest player in the league, I'm sure, and scoring his first ever-headed goal. Very, very impressive as well. I need to flag up, and this is a good time to do it after we've spoken about Reading, because you got done by this on Friday night talking about Omar Richards. Football's biggest issue, George, is <laughs> player heights online because it is so inaccurate and so inconsistent. And, I mean, it's it's one of those things that sounds a bit flippant, but I think is actually quite important. It, it should be in an age where we have almost all the information we could need at our fingertips. It shouldn't be difficult. Well, there, it, there shouldn't be so many players whose heights are just wrong. And with Big Ilias, right, if you search Ilias chair height, it will say he's five foot two. And that is so small. Like, that is so, so small. And I said this on a recent podcast that he's five foot two. And I feel bad because I don't think he is. There was a recent piece with him in The Athletic, uh, which said that he was five foot six. FIFA 21, for what it's worth, thinks he's five foot seven. But Football Manager 21 has him at five foot three. (laughs) <laughs> I decided to do a bit of my own research. So I went. Did you text Ilias? No, I didn't text Ilias. I went on to Scout. I found the game against Sheffield Wednesday and I sifted through to find instances of Ilias' chair standing next to Barry Bannon because oh that was how I thought was the best way to do it. And I found such instance of that. I don't think there's much in it. And Bannon is apparently five foot seven, which, to be honest, I'm not sure I'm buying. I so, mean, that, that's your issue is, your, you know, how are you taking Bannon's height? You, you can't measure Ilias Chair and how many Bannons. He's one point, what is he, 0.9 Bannons? Is that how we're going to define him now? I'm I'm going for five seven with Ilias Chair. You should, be, you, you should be able to take, I think, what you get off official sources as being true. That's the... Certainly the official site, yeah. Anyway, QPR getting a really good win here, um, aside from Big Ilias scoring a header. They're in that confusing zone that you get um, where they can be great one week, they can be horrendous the next week. And I'm not sure, George, how you're meant to predict which one it'll be at any given time. I think Preston North End are also in this um, vortex at the moment. But the thing I want to say about QPR is, and, and and I've just seen this on Twitter, the excellent loft for words. QPR site and Twitter account, which is one of my favourites. I always read his match previews and reviews just because I think the writing is pretty much second to none. Um, And I was checking out what he'd said about the game and someone tweeted him with regards to Warburton and QPR, which hasn't always been the most straightforward relationship so far. 43 points, which they're on from 33 games, is their best tally since relegation from the Premier League. Considering that Warburton lost 50 goals from the side from last season... His best players in Eze, Osei Samuel, Nicky Wells, Jordan Hugill and Ryan Manning, some of those on loan, of course, and effectively had to overhaul both uh, his squad both summers since he joined. Maybe he should be getting a little bit more credit. Um, and I thought that was worth flagging up because reading that, uh, it's hard to argue. It is hard to argue. It's impressive that QPR, as, as it stands at the moment, are probably going to match 
what they got last season with a player in Eze, who we think is a is a generational talent for this level. So well done, Mark Warburton. It, it might be inconsistent and I might find it hard to pick and choose when I think you're going to be good or bad, but it could be a lot worse, that's for sure. And he hasn't been working under the the best um, the best foundations, I guess, working under the the most uh, the smoothest circumstances. So fair play to him. Couple- yeah, and a couple. Well, I was going to say a couple of, of winnable games now. Next few games, home against Wickham, home against Huddersfield. So that means that they won't win them, though. That's the QPR vortex. Right. <laughs> I didn't realise. Yeah. Okay. Hey, uh, um, three other winners in the championship: Coventry one, Derby nil, Millwall nil, Blackburn Rovers two. Big win, especially for Tony Mowbray. That after seven without a win previously, Stoke two, Wickham nil. Which of those three would you would you like to uh, discuss with me right now? Yeah, I'll do Cov one, Derby nil. Um, good to see. You know, you mentioned my my faux pas on Sky with Omar Richards' height on Friday night. So it was good to see Callum O'Hare setting up a goal with some um, aggressive pressing in the final third. Uh, for Max Biamu and um, and O'Hare was brilliant throughout this game and nearly set up Biamu for a second in the second half but, and, and Coventry were, were very good um, their performance in Andrews continues to be the key factor in keeping them above the relegation zone in the championship um, but for Derby it, it's getting a bit of a worry now they are a side who really really struggle to break down teams um especially when the team they're playing against aren't really looking to be too positive on the ball. You know, their record from coming back from from losing positions is is appalling this season. They don't really seem to have anybody who can um, either use kind of ball-carrying ability in order to break lines, or, I mean, you'd think with Bird and Shee, they should have enough ball-playing ability in midfield to do so, but they just struggle to create many chances, uh, and a lot of the possession feels fairly stale. Now, I am no believer in any... Um, manager bounce and, and I do think that Wayne Rooney's uh, good start is certainly positive but at the moment it feels difficult to be particularly positive about what, what, what Derby are doing at the moment you wonder if you know they've got uh, Barnsley midweek on on Wednesday night and that is a very very different style to what they've struggled against and obviously I'm a huge fan of this Barnsley side and we know that teams struggle to create create against them even though they play such a high line and press so high uh, but I think for Rooney, he'll be happy to to come up against a side who aren't going to adopt a low block, even if they go ahead. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll be intrigued to see how Rooney tries to prepare for what we've already discussed as being one of the most difficult teams to play against in the league. Huge win for Rovers, as I said, and for Tony Mowbray, probably specifically after a run of seven without a win. He made six changes again. <laughs> it's 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 harking back to a lot of what we've said over the last few months. I was nervous when I saw six changes from Mowbray and trying to work out how they would set up because we've said, on the one hand, what an amazing squad he's got and how much depth and how many good players across all positions that, you know, rotation itself should not be an issue if you've got a load of players chomping at the bit to play. But we have also felt that he hasn't necessarily been showing that sort of the sort of steady hand, I guess, that you might associate with Tony Mowbray recently, but um, big performance. Uh, first half goal from Bradley Dack, who was very good. Tyrese Donan, excellent as well. This was all in the absence of Adam Armstrong as well. So um, really, really important. Something to build on for Blackburn Rovers after dropping well away from the playoff picture over the last few weeks. Uh, and then Stoke beating Wickham 2-0. Uh, certainly uh, Tom Hancock, Wickham fan, who we talk a lot to 
I think from Tom's Sunday scouting report, there's an acceptance now that Wickham will be playing their football in League One next season. They'll be frustrated because at 0-0, it was a, a really poor piece of defending, just too much space being allowed for Norrington Davis to stride into. Having said that, from a Stoke perspective, that's the sort of goal I want to see more of, that that bit of thrust, that quick ball movement, um, a forward run from 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 someone in the defensive line or the midfield line. It's It's what I don't think we've seen enough of. Um, so more of that, please, Stoke, uh, against opposition that might not give you quite as much space as uh, Wickham did in that instance. For the first time in a long time, the majority of championship teams will be resting in midweek. There are three fixtures as certain clubs try and make up for games in hand. So three games across the championship, but plenty in League One and League Two. Remember to download the Skybet EFL Rewards app, a free app to download. And all you have to do is check into your team's game in midweek. You'll then play the spinner for a chance to win all kinds of lovely prizes. Football Manager 2021. Although, do I recommend that after this weekend? My Sterling side lost on penalties in a playoff final with a place at uh, Scotland's top table up for grabs. Maybe not because I'm still struggling. Who won the XG battle in the game? Uh, I think I did, actually. I think I won the XG battle. Even more frustrating. It was, it was, a, it was a tight game. Anyway, you can win FM21. What a game that is. EFL replica balls, of course, match streaming passes and signed shirts as well. So make sure you've got the Skybet EFL reward app downloaded and play this midweek. Check in to your team's games. George, it was a busy, busy weekend in League One. Should we start with the newest manager in the division, Paul Cook? His first game in charge of Ipswich could not really have gone worse in terms of the result. A 3-1 defeat at Gillingham. How did you see this one? Bad result, bad performance. Um... <laughs> It was like watching the Ipswich. Well, I mean, in, in a way, it was like watching the Ipswich we've come to know. Um, the, the way they conceded the goals suggested to me that maybe Paul Cook had just said to them, you know, be, express yourself, be a bit braver. Um, you know, Freddie Sears losing it cheaply uh, out on the wing for for Vidane Oliver's first and Gillingham's second at one all. And then, I mean, they were caught playing out the back three times in five seconds for the, um, for the third goal uh, before a lovely finish by Oliver. Uh, I mean, they got unlucky at times, I guess. You know, that, that one shot on target stat, which was the goal, um, doesn't look too good. But then Troy Parrott went very, very close with, a, with an overhead kick in the first half. James Norwood was, was one-on-one. And um, the covering defender, I think it might have been Cundy, but I'm not sure, he, he managed to get a block in, which took it away for a corner. So it wasn't as if it was, which didn't create anything, um, but they were pretty poor on the day. But, you know, we, we've all been saying... I've heard it so many times how this is a bit of an odd one for for Paul Cook because he's lucky because he comes into a side who are winning, whereas normally managers come into sides that are losing. There's a bit of a double-edged sword that because whilst it's great that you're coming into a side who are doing well, it means that losing your first game up um, is an immediate dip in form, which others aren't normally afforded. So, I mean, I have no doubt that in... 10 games, let's say, you know, when Ipswich are playing their last game of the season, they're going to be a much better team than they were on, on Saturday. I guess the question is, when they are there, will they be a team who are looking to get automatic promotion? Will they be a team who are preparing for the playoffs? Or will they be a side who have, again, for the second season in a row, struggled to turn what is a very, very good squad of players into a an actual push for promotion? Shout out Gillingham. They were excellent, I thought. It's three home yeah. wins on the bounce for them. Um Possibly their best performance of the season as well. Uh, sadly for them, slightly overshadowed by the fact that it was Paul Cook's first game. And that was 
um, I think understandably going to take the the headlines or, or the majority of the attention. Um, I loved your point about never having seen Vidae and Oliver score a goal quite like the third goal. Um, what an unbelievable! <laughs> it genuinely did look like a different player, and that speaks to the confidence that he's picked up this season playing under Steve Evans, who as you always say, and you're spot on, tends to get the best out of his strikers. Uh, it's his best goal-scoring season since he scored 11 for Lincoln in the conference back in 2012-13. So it's great to see him thriving because he's got so many qualities and goal-scoring has never really been one of them. So add goal-scoring to his game and all of a sudden you've got someone considered to be a fourth-tier striker target man that doesn't score to a, a third tier striker who target man and does score um that certainly changes the narrative around for dane oliver uh, and credit to steve evans as well because you know it's one thing identifying and buying strikers that have scored a lot of goals um or have very good xg numbers you know we can all find those now that it's another thing entirely taking a striker that hasn't scored many goals before and giving them the right situation to do so. Um, I think of Paul Mullen at the moment with Mark Bonner. And there are many people who've watched a lot of League Two football who have never seen this season from Paul Mullen uh, on the cards. And here he is with 24 goals in all competitions. So um, credit to the managers in that sense, I think. Uh, then we've got Burton, right? Playing against Peterborough. This is why we love the EFL. Heading into this weekend, um, the, the there was a, a game between the two form teams in League One. One of them was top of the table, which kind of fits, <laughs> you know, that's kind of understandable. And one of them was, I think, 18th uh, as they went into it. Uh, and it's a team in 18th, Burton, who beat Peterborough, who continued this incredible run of form, uh, seven wins from nine games and have gone from bottom to looking like they will achieve safety, which, as you said, at the top of the pod seemed impossible just f six weeks ago. Uh, and it certainly wasn't, you know, this wasn't like a smash and grab by any means either. It, it wasn't. I mean, both the goals were very scrappy and, and posh, as they always do, even when they play badly, created a fair amount. I think they had 19 shots in the game to Burton's nine. So not a smash and grab, but at the same time, this wasn't as if, you know, it was two sides um, going toe to toe who are the best two teams in the division. I, I think Jimmy Floyd, Hasselbank and Burton know that the run of form as they're on is all about taking their chances when they come and, and trying to keep the opposition out rather than dominating games of football. But it's amazing what confidence can do because this is a side who have gone from being totally down and out to believing that they can go into every game and win the matches themselves. Um, you know, you won't see two scrappier goals, but Kane, Kane Hemmings back in the side is a big plus for them. You know, someone who thrives uh, in teams who provide some kind of service in the six-yard box, if not much else. Um, but that is what he's there to do. And he now actually has a supporting cast who are able to do that for him rather than feeding off scraps. Um, Michael Mancian played a, a holding midfield role. And, you know, it, it kind of goes without saying that if he's fit, he should be a, a brilliant League One footballer. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm so intrigued to see what's going to happen here. I, I do think you know, Burton have probably got enough points now in such a short amount of time to mean that they should be okay. I don't think this is going to continue. They are clearly a much better team now than they were a few weeks ago with good reason for the, for the manager change and also for the players that came in. I don't think even despite this result, I don't think they're suddenly the second best team in the league um, or one of the top two or three, but they need to carry on this run for as long as possible because, um, yeah, I think they might be on the receiving end of, of a bit of variance sometime soon. And credit to two people for making what I'd consider fairly brave decisions in January. One of them, Dino Mamria, making the decision to 
become Jimmy Floyd's assistant, uh, someone whose last few jobs have been as permanent managers in League Two. Um, and he has not done himself any harm here and is getting a lot of credit as well for, for the success of Albion over the last few weeks. But also from a playing perspective, Johnny Smith, who left Bristol City where he's come through the academy, he's been part of the sort of loan farm system, uh, had a really successful loan in League Two with Oldham last season, a less successful loan with Swindon first half of this season in League One. Uh, to join, I think, to join Burton, who were rooted to the bottom of the table in January, permanently as your first move away from your boyhood club very very brave considering you know they looked nailed on for relegation to league two and that's a division that he'll feel is is beneath his level after what he did there uh, with Oldham so um, huge credit to him because what he clearly needed was a chance to thrive and a manager who could get the best out of him and so far we're seeing that he is very very talented as that sort of direct wide forward cutting in from the right hand side He's a goal threat, but of course set up Hemmings' goal as well. Another massive result, eye-catching result down at the bottom, George Cobblers 4, Portsmouth 1. This time last week when we recorded the pod, Cobblers had just lost to Swindon, a relegation rival. They were bottom of the league and they'd won one game in 16. And now we find them two points outside the relegation zone, which kind of sums up how ridiculous this season is, how ridiculous this schedule is, and this League One relegation battle as well. Yeah, what a week for the Brady Bunch. Um, <laughs> you know, incredible, incredible. And I loved everything about this performance and result. Um, you know, Pompey fans might feel a bit aggrieved that they didn't have a penalty early on. But when you lose 4-1, I don't think you can really and put in such a poor performance. I don't think you can point back to... And even when you slow it down, it doesn't look like a nailed-on penalty to me. Even if his, his, his arm is up in the air when he jumps, I'm not sure it necessarily strikes the hand. Uh, but for Ryan Watson, who you know hadn't scored a goal in the league four games ago or five games ago, you know th- until the beginning of February, he's now got six, four in his last two, an incredible free kick. Um, and again, it, it comes down, and I hate talking about confidence because it's such intangible, but I just don't think that Ryan Watson smacks that ball in from 30 yards from a free kick if he hasn't already done what he's done over the last couple of weeks. Um, he probably doesn't even take it on. And you know, a couple of set-piece goals, I mean, I, I don't know who's going to get given the goal, whether it's Hoskins or um, or Edmondson for the fourth. But that I think the, the debate around that has taken away the fact that it is an unbelievable bit of play from Hoskins. You know, it's like a ridiculous finish. Uh, the way he hits it um, from kind of wide on the right hand channel to love the keeper who's backpedaling. It's so, um, it's such, you know, it's such a difficult angle and a, and a difficult thing to pull off. So whether it's his goal or assist, a brilliant bit of play. And then, you know, we've spoken a bit about manager interviews as well with Warnock and Cooper. If you're only going to watch one, watch John Brady's because the bloke is in tears. Um, you know, I spoke about um, I spoke about John Brady in the Totally Football League show Extra Time and about his lovely, soothing Australian accent, uh, his Australian voice, Lilt. Um, but he just seems like a brilliant guy. He, he is somebody that I would, if I was a Cobblers fan, I'd be so happy to have somebody who seems to care so much um about the club itself you know he talks about how he's come through the all the different youth teams and how he's just desperate to to make the club better and that is all you want you know somebody who's not in it for himself who's totally in it for the fans and the club and and improving the players um and you know if they do stay up which looks after this week like much more likely than it did before then um six fields is going to be a pretty special place to be when they welcome brady in funnily enough i preferred goal scorer fraser horsfall's interview 
um, which I've retweeted onto the Not The Top 20 podcast Twitter timeline, so you can go and watch it yourself. But essentially, essentially he's talking about what was said at half-time, and they go in 4-0 up, and he says... Well, we came in and we had some people saying, it's still nil-nil, it's still nil-nil. And I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> I that. There's such mischief in his voice as he says it. Um, great humour. Not a good day for Portsmouth. Not a good day for Kenny Jacket. Uh, in midweek, they lost to Doncaster and he upset the fan base by, uh, fan base by saying it was a, a good way to win a game. Well, I don't think he'd be saying that about this. 4-0 down at half-time to a team that had only scored 10 uh, in 16 home games before that game. Um, we must move on, George. Wigan 3, MK Dons 0. Equally a surprising and impressive result um, for a Wigan team battling away down at the bottom. Um, seemingly good news with regards to a takeover, which is in sight now. That's been reported over the weekend. It's no inside info here, but that's what's been reported by Alan Nixon, among others. What a win, George, to, to move off the bottom for Wigan Athletic. 3-0 winners and a clean sheet as well for the team who had conceded the most over the last 10 games or so against a team who had scored the most over the last 10 games or so. Uh, another magnificent result. Yeah, I just love that stat that Wigan had lost their last five games and conceded 16 goals and MK had scored in their last eight, win to nil. Um, it's, it, it's interesting with Wigan because I feel like the 5-0 defeat to Hull might have been the best thing that's happened to them because, I mean, that and, and getting Callum Lang back in, in January, obviously, from his, his spell at Motherwell, who scored five and seven now. Because all five performances since that, embarrassing defeat to Hull have been so much better. You know, you look at the Lincoln game, they lost 2-1 after that, where they had as much of the game as Lincoln. They went to Bristol Rovers and won 2-1. They gave Peterborough a massive scare away from home, then lost a really marginal game against Charlton at home 1-0, and then have, have dominated an MK side completely here. You know, this is, um, that's th you know, it's three losses and two wins, but it's three one-goal losses against good sides and good performances. And we've, we've often said, you look at their first team and they should be better than they are. You know, that there is an argument to say that they shouldn't be, in a, despite all the issues off the pitch. And that obviously plays into it. If you just take their first 11, that is not a relegation first 11. But Liam Richardson's doing an amazing, amazing job. And you know, if it comes to the end of the season and they do manage to, to keep their head above water and they do get the new owners in, um, he deserves a hell of a pat on the back, um, you know, for, for, for managing to lead them out of what's been a difficult season and more performances like this one on Saturday and I have no doubt they'll get there. 2-0 win for Hull uh, against Bristol Rovers. Three wins in a row now for Hull City after a blip that they had, a poor run of six games or so. So credit to them for bouncing back. It's not the first time this season that we've said that about them. The very nature of being in these divisions means that blips happen and, uh, and more often than not, a team like Hull are going to get over them. Um, we spoke about Malik Wilkes on Friday night at the very end of our Sky segment and I didn't have time to weigh in. So I just wanted to say that I think we should be talking more about Wilkes in general. Um, you know, you talked about his qualities, the fact that he's got 19 goals in all competitions from a essentially a wide forward role and the fact that what he's done in League One previously in his career with Doncaster suggests that he's, you know, too good for the level, shall we say. Which, for someone who's just turned 22, to have, to have played, to have made over 100 starts uh, already in the EFL, to be coming up towards 40 goals scored, I really do think 
he should be talked about a little bit more. Maybe people don't realise he's so young because it feels like he's been around for a while. That loan he had with Donny when he was just 19 in, in 2018-19 season. But, you know, things like that spat the other day with McGuinness don't help him. He's obviously had some issues off the field in the past. A court case which hung over him for a while, which is now in the past. But, you know, there aren't many players who score this amount of goals consistently from a wide area. And it got me thinking that, like, Jared Bowen has to be his inspiration from this exact point. It's it's marginal, but I don't think he's got the pure quality of finishing that Bowen had, like the just unerring accuracy and speed of shot that, that Bowen had. But evidently, he's got something pretty special in that regard. He doesn't create a lot. I note that he got assist an assist on the weekend. That was his second of the season. Bear in mind, he's got 19 goals. So that's clearly something to work on. But there aren't many players in this mould, and it, clearly it's such a valuable thing. And he should look at Bowen, who was playing at Hull with him not long ago, um, and try and work out how to best, I guess, distill his skill set and and how else to develop his game around that to get to the point where Bowen's at. Because I reckon there are people who think, nah, Malik Wilkes is nowhere near as good as Jared Bowen. But for his age, for what he's got already, his sort of raw materials, if you will, you know, it might take a lot of development, but there's absolutely no reason why this guy couldn't become a, a top, top championship player, if not beyond. So someone to watch and someone maybe we haven't always given enough credit to this season. George Lincoln beat Crew 3-0. Some lovely, lovely goals, which is a mm. bit of a feature of Lincoln City at their best, I think. Yeah, just technical footballers doing their thing and, and scoring nice goals. Um yeah, Brennan Johnson with the best of the lot, the third one. He is a player who, you know, when we speak earlier in the podcast, when we spoke earlier in the podcast about what Nottingham Forest is going to be like under Chris Hutton next season, um, despite having Knockart, despite having Lolly and other attacking wide players, um, I think Brennan Johnson would be a real, real breath of fresh air um, there and would offer them something very different, some fearless, youthful exuberance. He is a brilliant player and showed it again. And then Morgan Rogers with the first as well. I mean, he is a guy, four goals in 10 games now since joining in January from Man- Manchester City. Um, and yeah, I kind of feel like maybe we're not talking enough about this kid who I'm sure Manchester City um, will feel has a future with them. It was only 18 months ago that they worked pretty hard to bring him in from from West Brom. Um And playing first team football now for a manager like Appleton, who's so good at, at developing young talent. Um, it's it's an exciting time to be a Lincoln fan, and, and especially given the the run of poor results they came here on the back of. And then I you know I watched the first fifty minutes of this game live, and Crew were by far the better side early on. And I started to think to myself, then is this the case? You know, is this going to be where you know, is is a forty six game season going to prove just that a little bit too long for this Lincoln side? But then you see the quality they've got in the final third, and um, so long as they keep creating chances and keep getting the ball into those areas. The individual quality is there and that they'll continue winning games and picking up points. Lee Johnson's Sunderland are streaking through the quad to the gymnasium. Everyone's doing it. <laughs> a 2-0 win against Rochdale. It's five wins in their last six. They are in fourth place as we record. Um, and they're looking very, very strong, aren't they? I mean, it wasn't... A, it looks a straightforward game against the poor Rochdale side. Uh, the fact that they scored so early from such a routine set-piece meant that it was a comfortable afternoon to an extent. But I've seen a lot of plaudits for Rochdale from Sunderland fans, which suggests that they were kind of surprised and impressed with how 
Dale were able to to get at Sunderland, how you know how they didn't have it easy. Um, but they do march on, and you know White's now got twenty in the league, twenty five in all comps. Another header, Unreal. another mm-hmm. header for him. He has scored by far the most amount of headed goals in the EFL. This Rochdale side hit the bottom. Um, what can you say? One win, six draws, nine defeats in their last sixteen. That's only nine points in sixteen games. So they need a spark, George. There are still thirteen games to go. All of the other teams around them, basically, Burton, Northampton this week, um, potentially Wigan, Bristol Rovers, you know, all of the teams down at the bottom of League One have had a spark and a decent run at some point. Um, do, you, do you see that happening for Dale? And, and the difficulty for Brian Barry Murphy is the, the the clubs you mentioned have all seemingly improved after making a change of manager. And I think from what I've seen on social media, um, a lot of Rochdale fans as, much, as popular as he is as a guy, are losing faith with Brian Barry Murphy. Um, I think it's a little a little bit harsh. Um, I still maintain that, you know, th- with the the level of investment and the job that he has to do, finishing out of the relegation zone on goal difference at the beginning of the season would be seen as a job well done. In a way, the the ridiculous entertainers, um, which was totally fair given how crazy their games were, coupled with a mid-table position after a few months of the season means that this now looks a lot worse than if they'd been down the bottom early on. Um, it's it's impossible and too harsh to judge them um, on an away trip to the Stadium of Light. You know, Sunderland's resources completely dwarfs what Rochdale have available to them. And they were improved here. You know, they, they conceded twice. The, the Geordie Jones assist for Charlie White's goal is ridiculous and, you know, a, a cross that nobody could deal with. And the first comes from a set piece. They had an opportunity in between the two goals to draw level with um, Kierhain missing a fairly easy opportunity. It's just not going their way at the moment. The performances to go alongside the results were very poor. This, I think, was a step in the right direction. And, you know, if if... We hear about the process of Rochdale. We hear about the way that they are run and the jobs that that Brian Barry Murphy is tasked with. That would make it a massive surprise to me if he was to be sacked between now and the end of the season. He's just got to be able to to prove that he's got what it takes to um, to get them out of it. And I think Quadwo Bar is going to be key to that. He was good again at at Sunderland. He's going to be leaving at the end of the season. You say they need a spark. Him and Humphreys have to find a way to to put, make their kind of game impact into goals. Big chance against Shrewsbury in midweek for Rochdale to back up a, a half-decent performance at Sunderland, if not a good result. Uh, Shrews winless in three. Elsewhere in League One, George, I'm going to run through some results for you. Doncaster 2, Plymouth 1. Um, Coppinger in his 600th game getting two assists with pinpoint deliveries, which was great to see. But also, Donny massively helped by some horrendous Argyle finishing. Um, but maybe the entertaining game for the neutral in, in the league, actually, on the weekend. 40 shots total in that game. Um, up the Andy Butler, two wins from two as Donny caretaker manager. Accrington beat Swindon 2-1. Mostly comfortable, I think. Accrington consensus the better side, even if a bit of a sloppy bit of defending and goalkeeping allowed the Hitman Pittman to score an equaliser. Um, in that game, but it's Aki's deadly duo up front, Colby Bishop and Dion Charles, both signed from non-league, of course, both scoring in this game, 23 goals combined uh, this season. And it's, as ever, it was Bishop kind of doing the dirty work, getting the assist for, for Charles 
uh, and then getting a goal of his own. They're just outside the playoff places, Accrington. So if you haven't heard about them for a few weeks, it's because they've they've had to play a lot of games to make up for postponements. Um, their form's been kind of patchy, but they're certainly not far off it at the moment. And more results like that, and they might well punch their way into the playoffs. And then Shrews nil, Fleetwood two. Some nice goals, I thought, from Fleetwood in this one. Wes Burns and and Carl Vassell. George uh, Shrews kind of slowed down. Terrible and, defending yeah. for, for the Burns one. I mean, I was so excited to see the Burns goal when I read about it and then I saw it and I was like, come on, lads, <laughs> just just close them down, please. It's a classic one where the Twitter account of the team says something like, Burns, Burns runs 80 yards with the ball and smashes it into the bottom left-hand corner. You're like, yeah, I could do that. I mean, I don't think I could do that, but <laughs> I, 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 could, I, I could at least run to the point where he shoots because <laughs> no one challenges him. Um, Simon Grayson just trying to build I think for, for next season Fleetwood have had a peculiar campaign haven't they really certainly not what was expected of them um, but in flashes under Grayson they've shown themselves to be pretty well organised and yeah I mean they're 15th at the moment 43 from 33 games they're only 9 points off the playoffs you might say but unlikely that they would make a dent in those playoff places um, all about building for next season under Grayson I think but a good result there in League 2 You'll have been across all of this pretty closely for Quest. Um, top three teams all won, George. Cheltenham three, Port Vale two, Grimsby one, Forest Green two, and Cambridge one, Walsall nil. But in different ways, they all kind of made it quite hard for themselves, right? Like Cambridge mm. with a ridiculous, for the second weekend in a row, ridiculous like buzzer beater screamer. This time from Mullin. Last week it was O'Neill. Um, to get three points from a game which local reporter Matt Ramsey described as vintage dross. Um, <laughs> you had Cheltenham doing a Cheltenham cruising, 3-0 up against Vale and then conceding two to get a little bit nervy. And you had Forrest Green who went ahead against Grimsby, then conceded a really stupid goal. Um, but a bit of Ebu Adams class got them uh, got them the win there. What do you make of these this top three in League Two at the moment? Well, uh, with Forrest Green... And with Cambridge, you've got two moments of individual excellence nicking the points, really. Um, you know, Adams' first touch is just so good. The finish, brilliant as well. You know, Mullen hadn't scored a goal from outside the area this season and then does that in the dying minutes. And I know Walsall fans were really upset because they felt it was one of their best performances of the season. Um, and Cambridge continue at a time of the season where you, you know they're running out of time to dip now they haven't been particularly convincing in my opinion at least consistently for a while now but having that you know what I said about Lincoln having those class players in in, in important areas having someone like Mullen to do that and to win you the points is, is incredibly important if the season were to start now and run for, for 46 games I probably wouldn't have Cambridge near the top but that's not to mean that they're not going to end up near the top now with just 10 or so to play 10 or 12 to play but I, I think Cheltenham were the most impressive of the lot by miles basically because they won this game 3-0 or, or at least they thought they'd won the game 3-0 but to all intents and purposes they had and um you know, and, and thanks to former Cheltenham stalwart keeper Scott Brown, who I don't know what he was doing for the first goal and for the second. Um, yeah, I mean, it was unlucky for him. It, it ricocheted off, off the bar and onto his head and then into the goal. But it was a, a bad five minutes for him. But they were they were very good, Cheltenham. They had the game won. They had it. They were in total control. And then Port Vale with two goals out of nowhere, really, and then really grew into the game. And almost the most impressive thing for me here was that 
Cheltenham had to deal with kind of five or six minutes of, of, of pressure from Port Vale. Then the uh, added time ball goes up and it's seven minutes. And so they've got another seven minutes to, to see out this win, which they thought they already had. And they did it basically with minimal fuss, really towards the end. Um, that initial pressure kind of faded. I was watching the last five minutes because all the other games had ended and there wasn't really a second where I thought that the Port Vale were going to score. So, yeah, if I was to say the sustainability factor, you know, the sign of champions factor, um, I would say that Cheltenham's performance up until the 83rd minute and then their performance on from the 85th minute with two minutes of absolute disaster um, was the most impressive, but two moments of sheer quality from Adams and Mullen, two, you know, two of the elite performers at this level. Although I know that Ever Adams has come in for some stick recently from Forest Green fans. Um, equally as important in terms of getting the three points. I just couldn't stop thinking as you spoke there. A weird, a weird thing to prompt me missing going to games live. But when you mentioned the uh, seven minutes of injury time, and I just, I was suddenly just, I floated <laughs> away. I floated away to this, to the classic scenario of uh, fourth official has indicated a minimum of seven minutes at a time. Seven minutes, and I'll turn to you, George. Seven minutes. Where have they got that from? That phrase, where have they got that from? Basically, haven't used Can't believe it. it. Haven't used it for twelve months. Can't wait to and then stop. The away, then the away fans are going absolutely crazy, yeah. calling <laughs> the same thing. But they've got seven minutes. Yeah, oh, shivers, shivers down the spine. Uh, two impressive wins for promotion chasers. I'll take Exeter four, Orient nil, uh, because this was the top scorers in League Two. Exeter cutting loose. They're a funny prospect as top scorers in League Two, aren't they? Because they've actually had plenty of games where they've not been very good going forward. It's almost like quite an inconsistent but unbelievable attacking threat that they have. Like when they score one, they quite often score three or four. But they have drawn a few blanks recently as well. But the first career hat-trick for Matt Jay, I want to give him a lot of love, a lot of credit. But my favourite part of this, George, by Miles, was Bowman's assist for Randall's first, or Mm. Randall's only goal, the first goal. Absolutely magnificent centre-forward play. I can't remember off the top of my head if it was a goal kick or a or just a clearance from this from a defender but he he basically controlled the ball on his throat and mm. like just dropped it onto his chest took another touch and then a through ball for the on-rushing Randall who finished the job absolutely brilliant hold up play bit of creativity as well of course Bowman's having a uh, one of his better goal scoring seasons as well so another big shout out for a, a striker doing the business and I know how much you love Morecambe they beat Carlisle 3-1 I've spent a long time this weekend, as I often do, on Morecambe's YouTube page, just really enjoying the the humour and just the sort of creativity and and randomness that they bring to their YouTube coverage of Morecambe. Um, so I'm all I'm all for the shrimps getting promoted this year. Uh, they were certainly the better side against Carlisle, which says a lot about how these two teams have fared over the last few months. Yeah, they were brilliant. They were so good. They were the better side. Um, again, another team who'd won at 3-0, or at least they thought they had before conceding <laughs> late. Um, but yeah, Aaron Wildig was superb. A beautiful first goal that he kind of started the move and then finished it off. And then he set up Cole Stockton later on. Um, they're just a side who... I, I can't add anything more than what I said last week, where they just they are in a groove where they know how to win. They don't fear anybody. Um, and they're just loving playing their football. It's It's really impressive. You know, they're almost the opposite of, of what's happened with Carlisle, who started with such intensity and are now, and are now fizzling away. They seem to be growing into the season every week that goes past, despite its gruelling nature. Um, and Derek Adams is just doing an incredible, incredible job there. Um, I 
I think they've got a massive chance of going up if they continue doing what they're doing at the moment. Four wins out of five. It's very exciting. Go and subscribe to the Morecambe YouTube channel, by the way. I promise you won't regret it. Um, really good fun. Uh, one nice one nice little thing that you'll start to love as much as I do is when they interview Carlos Mendes Gomez uh, post-match, inevitably he has scored or assisted or been the star man. At the end of the interview... It, there's a little theme where of him basically trying to fist bump slash elbow bump the interviewer and like really mucking it up and the whole thing looking quite awkward but quite sweet. Um, so do go and do that because I've got so much time for what they're doing and I think it's really important, especially um, you know in a way for the fans to connect at the moment without being able to go to games. But you talk about Morecambe, you talk about Carlisle. I don't want to get my geography wrong, but not a million miles away from each other, George. Which is a good segue to talking about Barrow from Barrow in Furness, also uh, in that part of the country. Uh, big winners near the bottom this weekend because Grimsby lost and Southend drew and Port Vale lost and Colu lost and Mansfield lost and Walsall lost and Scunthorpe drew and Oldham drew. And the only winners in this group, Barrow. 2-0 winners against Mansfield. Rob Kelly, the most qualified interim manager that League Two has ever seen. Uh, unsurprisingly getting a lot out of his players once more Quigley um, Bruff was excellent Devitt and Bradley Barry as well they were they were very good value for this one for Mansfield this stag party has ended terribly this is one of those mm. where that the, the stag party was so intense for the for the period that it happened which was a period of five games that they won but it, it's it's almost one of those where it's gone too far and now they're dealing with some serious repercussions I'm talking arrests I'm talking I'm talking like really bad decisions and mistakes being made that weekend. And uh, yeah, Mansfield now, well, what are they? They've lost five of their last six. No, I don't think any stag party should end in Barrow. So I feel sorry for the lads who were, who were there. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of fizzling pretty, pretty nastily for Mansfield at the moment. Um, it's hard to really put your finger on what has happened. Uh, I mean, this was a case where they've had a man sent off at 0-0 and lost the game 2-0. They had a man sent off midweek as well. Um, so not necessarily getting the rub of the green in that respect, although you have to take some of the responsibility for that. And, you know, the record in midweek was very, very late and didn't impact the game at all. But going forward, losing meant suspension won't help. Um, I've got to be careful saying that games weren't good games because I said that about the Barrow-Bolton game and was rightly... Um, receiving pelters on Twitter from Bradford fans. I, I mean, I wish I'd said it wasn't a great game until the goals, and then it was a very exciting last 10 minutes. Um, but either way, um, I don't think this game between Barrow or Man and Mansfield was a very good game until the sending off, um, which enabled Barrow to to come um, out of their shell a bit and create a couple of decent chances for the left wing-back Bruff to, to finish off. And it's, it's a massive three points for them. It's so big, so important to try and maintain their their league status, um, you know, I can't help but feel that given the, the shambles that a couple of the clubs around them have, have, have been embroiled in this season, it would be harsh for a Barrow side who tested a lot of teams early in the season, even if they didn't have anything to show for it, um, to go down. So, you know, with Rob Kelly, I do feel like they've got the best man in charge at the moment of the three that they've had this season. And um, they need these results to come in because as we've seen with so many sides, with Stevenage, with Scunthorpe, it doesn't take much. Three or four wins and you're out of it. Well, just on behalf of everyone who loves League Two and has a Twitter account, uh, I'd like to remind you that you're an idiot and a fraud <laughs> and a chancer. Um, okay, so we've got some managerial news in League Two. That is, well, to my eyes, 
surprising at least when I saw the news break. Stupid. And then became less surprising when I remembered who the club is, what their recent managerial history is, who's making the decisions there. The news is that Oldham have sacked Harry Kuehl. Uh Why? Well, they're, they've won one of their last six. It's not, it's not the worst form ever. D- did include home defeats to Barrow and Bolton. And then to be fair, George, the 0-0 draw against Southend on the weekend. Not just drawing 0-0 with a side in the relegation places. Southend were much better, weren't they? Battered. Battered by Southend, mm. in all honesty. So maybe it's the manner of that performance which uh, jolted what might be something of a knee-jerk reaction. But, I'm, yeah, but you're making uh, faces. You're making faces. What are you doing? Because what are you doing? You're, you're just sacking somebody to bring in the next person who's going to get sacked after a few bad results. Mm. It, if you know, if you look at what happened, for example, with 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 Barrow this season, with, with Dunn and with Jolly, they've they've been trigger happy twice there. But you can see that there is a willingness from the club to bring in the right person. With Oldham, that is just not the case. It is so boring. You bring somebody in to give them what they want for a little bit. You know, with Kuehl, the recruitment seems to be much better than than it has been in recent seasons. I think the team they've got at the moment is more exciting and has a lot of players who, you know, could well prove to be sellable assets, which they haven't had for a long time. A run of poor results when they're, at the moment at least, not in any danger of slipping into the bottom two and they sack him and then someone else has got to start again and they bring him in and it's new ideas and it's new players. It's just boring. I just can't have any sympathy for for the older owner at all. You know, I I'm, I don't think that Harry Kuehl is necessarily a brilliant manager. I'm not sitting here saying that. He's probably done a better job than I thought he was going to do when he got appointed. Um, I just feel sorry for whoever takes the job next i hope they have a, a clause in their contract saying that they get paid a nice uh, a nice amount when they get sacked video game style ownership of a football club i think we're seeing in operation at, at Oldham athletic at least that's how it looks from the outside uh, and to finish off a couple of good wins to mention george uh, i'll let you pick the best one in your eyes Tramia nil crawley one stevenage one harrogate nil and call you nil newport county two what was your favorite of that trio Elliot List's goal for Stevenage, I think. Yes. Goal- Such a good... Goalie assist. You've got to love a goalie assist. Touch. It's the touch that I love. Um, kind of on the sprint, taking the ball over his shoulder and bringing it on into his path. And then a lovely finish as well. He's he's such a good player. I love this Stevenage story. I think it's so great. You know, just everything about it. You've got a manager who probably thought he was going to get the sack after five games. You've got a team who thought they were in the National League in the summer. You- down in the relegation or around the relegation area for so long this season. Now looking upwards near the playoffs in the drop zone with a player in list who is is you know the, the talisman and the um and the key creative force and the key goal scorer. It's great. I'm so happy for for their fans who've had to deal with a lot recently and you know they they are the living embodiment of a side who had a lot of bad luck early in the season, whose performances weren't as bad as the results, who stuck with what they were doing and are now being rewarded. Massive yes from me. I dug into what you're calling the bad luck at the start of the season, which was also last season, and and you can call it what you want. It was the worst stretch of finishing in terms of conversion rate, shots turning into goals, that is, that the league had ever seen, I think. If you stretch over last season and the first portion of this season, I couldn't find any teams in League 2 over the last, I think it was seven seasons I looked at, who were finishing a fewer, uh, who were finishing fewer of their shots, um, and of course, there's always more at play than just this will improve because um, there might be poor shots being taken, there might be poor decision making, there might be some very bad strikers. But 
even so, it was just too low. Uh, and we're seeing that the, the shooting boots have come back. But they've also only conceded one in the last six. So um, really impressive stuff from Stevenage. Crawley beating Tranmere. Properly deserving it too. Not not smash and grab this by any stretch of the imagination. And and, and Tom Nichols, you know, when Crawley are, are at their best, Nichols is the one that stands out for being just the most delightful attacking player. Now, when Crawley aren't at their best, Nichols can go missing in games. But this was one where he fancied it. He got on the ball. He made things happen. He scored the winning goal as well. Um, bad result and a bad day for Tranmere as, as James Vaughan uh, is going to have n- surgery on a knee injury. I haven't worked out if that's like one of those knee injury surgeries that keeps you out for six months or whether it's um, slightly more routine but regardless that'll be a big miss and it's uh, it's up to Dave Nugent to step up now uh, and Newport big big win for them you have to say a tuna win against Colu. it's hard for me to know George whether this is Newport you know early season Newport or just really bad Colu. I think probably a little bit of a mixture of the two but the way that we will find out, I guess, is to see how Newport get on against Bradford in midweek because they're playing their next two home games at Cardiff's stadium rather than Rodney Parade. So if you subscribe to the idea that the pitch holds them and their style of play or their desired style of play back enormously, then maybe we'll see a little uptick in results at home over the next few weeks. But the hilarious thing is they've had such a bad run, Newport, They've only won three games since the 12th of December and yet they're, they're in the playoff places. So all is not lost, certainly. Um, things can be turned around from this point. That's it for this week's pod. We've been sponsored by the Skybet EF Rewards app. Uh, it's a free app where you can win prizes if you check into your team's games, if you play the predictor. Loads of really good prizes to win, which we've discussed earlier on in the podcast. There's a ton of EFL games in midweek, so make sure you download the app, head on there, sign up if you haven't already, and just check into a game, uh, give yourself a chance to play the spinner uh, and a chance to win some prizes. And join us in the second half of the week for the betting show, for the Totally Football League show, Extra Time. Uh, Enjoy the midweek action, hope for some good results for your teams, and have a good week, everyone.